Men, thanks for listening to our 920 Man Challenge podcast. These are Bible teachings that are meant to be discussed alongside other men in community at our Blankenbaker Man Challenge gathering, where we prioritize developing a competent and confident understanding of who Jesus is and authentic and intentional male relationships. We hope this teaching of God's Word grows your relationship with the Lord, and we urge you to unpack it in your relationship with others. Enjoy! guys hey open up to Galatians open up to Galatians hopefully it's not a surprise to you by this point this is where it will be uh, Galatians we're going to camp out in kind of the end of chapter two uh, but we're going to get a running start a little bit at the whole book so just open up to Galatians and get there uh, what we're going to do today you guys if you've been at man challenge before kind of know the drill if you haven't this is how it'll work uh, we're going to kind of teach together I'm going to teach through a few verses here in Galatians and uh, draw out a few things I think are important for us to see in this passage. That's going to lead into a time of discussion at your tables. There will be questions on the screens. I'll try to set you up with some things that kind of can go around those questions to frame up your discussion so that it's fruitful for you. Um, so my hope out of this isn't just that you'll walk out thinking, I understand that Bible passage, although I really hope that happens. Um, but I hope you can walk out saying, okay, I understand that Bible passage, and I've done some work to make sure I can live it out better today than I could have yesterday. Does that make sense? That's our goal today, is to kind of give you some action step coming out of this text, because uh, I think it's a powerful and important text. So uh, Galatians, and we'll be in um, chapter 2. What I want to tell you guys, I'll just tell you this kind of right, right out of the gate. Here's what I want to tell you today, what I hope you kind of get, what I think might summarize our passage in Galatians chapter 2 pretty well, is this. Who you are, who you are and what you do mean nothing compared to whose you are and what he's done. Who you are and what you do really mean nothing compared to whose you are and what he's done. I think that's so much of what this passage is about in Galatians. I think that's so much, frankly, of what the Bible is about. Who you are and what you do really means nothing compared to whose you are and what he's done. So in order to get there in our passage in Galatians 2, let's kind of get a running start in the whole book of Galatians. Uh, Mason mentioned earlier, this is a, a New Testament letter written by Paul, who was an apostle of the church. Uh, so basically a guy who Jesus specifically showed up to and said, I have a mission for you. Uh, so Paul kind of went around a bunch of churches, planting churches, starting churches, building up people, converting people to Christianity and establishing church leadership and then moving on to a new city. He did this all kind of all over the place. You can read about a lot of that stuff in the book of Acts. Um, like Acts 13 through 28 or so primarily is the story of Paul. And uh, in, that, in those stories, we see him go to all kinds of these places that he then writes letters to later. Once he's left, he writes him a letter and says, hey, make sure you remember what I taught you. Make sure you're doing things the right way. Make sure you're being faithful to the gospel. So that's what these letters are. Galatians is one of those. Uh, what's interesting, I think, is Galatians may actually be the earliest New Testament writing. Um, the earliest book that was written in the New Testament, probably somewhere in the 40s A.D., uh, to give you kind of a frame of reference, uh, this is like 15 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. Uh, so pretty close in proximity. It hasn't been very long, and Paul has already started a church and is now writing back to that church, reinforcing some of the things he's taught them. So that's Galatians. Uh, look, look with me at Galatians 1, just the very beginning. I want to get these couple of verses in our minds to kind of get the context for you of what's happening. So this is Galatians 1, chapter 1, verse 1, the very, very beginning. Uh, here's what it says. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, who raised Jesus from the dead. 
and all the brothers and sisters with me to the churches in Galatia. So that's how we know who he's writing to. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about Galatia for a second, uh, and then we'll kind of keep moving through the letter. Galatia was a, a region in Asia Minor. It's kind of around modern-day Turkey or so. It's just east of Greece, where Greece is now. So it's in that region, Mediterranean Sea kind of area. And Galatia was a Roman province, it was called. So basically a large area with lots of cities in it. So this is an area that Paul went to. You can read about in Acts chapter 13. Uh, Paul went to this region, to Galatia, and just started hitting city after city after city, preaching the gospel and telling people who Jesus was and going into Jewish synagogues and saying, hey, you guys have a great start. Let me tell you what Jesus did to fulfill everything you're hoping for. And he's kind of leaving churches behind him as he goes. One of the things you could read about, actually, and man, you should do this, uh, go over to Acts 13 sometime and just kind of read the background of this letter. In Acts 13, one of the things we read about happening to Paul when he's starting these churches up in Galatia is that he's preaching in synagogues, he's preaching to Jewish people, and he's preaching to Gentile people and saying we can all come together as one under this new umbrella of Jesus Christ. He invites us all to be part of what he's doing and what he's done. And he's preaching that gospel and what happens, it's really fascinating in Acts 13. The Gentile people, who kind of aren't part of the Jewish covenant to begin with, are super excited about it. The Jewish people who think we kind of have a corner on the market here and you're letting people in on our thing, don't love it. So the Gentile people are all excited, and the Jewish people are like, hey, what are you saying? What do you mean? What do you mean Gentiles can just come? You mean they don't have to become Jewish? I don't believe that. And they just start, I mean, it causes trouble to where Paul and his friends have to leave town. So already at the beginning, when he's preaching to these churches in Galatia, he's got some major issues on what it means to be part of God's people, what it means to be saved by Jesus, what it means to be invited into what God's doing in the world. Is this making sense so far? So already when Paul is starting these churches, that's the issue. That's one of the major issues he's facing. So he actually writes the book of Galatians back to that church in Galatia because they're dealing with the same issue. You've got two groups of people, Jews and Gentiles, who have come to faith in Christ. And the Jewish people are saying, you can come to faith in Christ. You also have to become ethnically Jewish. And Paul's like, no, you don't. You just have to come to Christ. And the Gentile people are really confused. So Paul writes this letter. It's actually a pretty scathing letter to try to explain to them some of the basics of Christianity, some of the basics of Christian thought. So let me tell you, in order to, I think, get through this letter well, I've just got to define a couple kind of biblical theological terms for you. This may seem a little like theology technical. I promise it will be helpful. Okay, so this will help us kind of understand the flow of the letter. Let me give you a couple things. Uh, a, a couple of words you're going to see as we read through Galatians, as you're reading through it on your own, as we read through it today, uh, is this word justified. You'll see that all over Galatians. It's kind of a major theme in our passage today, the word justified. You'll also see the word righteous. Uh, in Greek, the, the New Testament was originally written in Greek. In Greek, those are really the same word. So justified is kind of the verb of righteousness. Is this making sense? Sorry to give you a grammar lesson at 6 a.m. You guys are doing great. Justified and righteous. When you see those words in Galatians, here's kind of the, the summary of what Paul means. To be justified means you're on God's team. That's what justified means. It's kind of one of those big bible words like justified. It feels so proper. It means you're on God's team. So when Paul says things like, here's how you get justified. Here's what it means to be justified by faith. Here's what it means that you can live a righteous life. What he means when he says those words is, how do you know you're on God's team? This is kind of the big core fundamental thing about being a Christian. How do you know you're on God's team? It's a big question, right? Big question. 
So Paul's going to write Galatians to address that for these people who are kind of in conflict about it. Justified and righteous kind of means on God's team. Here's another phrase that you're going to see a ton in Galatians uh, is, is this phrase, faith in Christ. To put your faith in Christ Jesus. Another way you can translate it, your Bible probably has a footnote when you run into this phrase. Uh, keep an eye out for that. Another way you can translate it is actually the faithfulness of Christ. So when you see this phrase, it's, it's either talking about you put your faith in Christ or there's something that happens to us because Christ himself was faithful. So in other words, Jesus did what he was supposed to do. He accomplished his mission. He followed God's way of doing things. He was faithful to it. In Greek, it's hard to tell the difference between the phrases. I think Paul kind of means both. So when you see that phrase in your Bible, faith in Christ, put your faith in Christ. We are justified by our faith in Christ. Here's how I would define that for us. Um, it's kind of a big theological term. Here's how I would define it. To have faith in Christ means that you believe the truth about Jesus and live in the result of his finished work. To have faith in Christ means that you believe the truth about Jesus and live in the result of his finished work. So when Paul says things like, you have been justified by faith in Christ, kind of what he means is, you're on God's team. If you believe the truth about Jesus and you live in the result of his finished work. Does that make sense so far? We'll unpack this as we go. But I think this is a helpful kind of foundation as you're reading the book of Galatians. So when Paul says you've been justified by faith, it means you're on God's team when you believe the truth about Jesus and live in the result of his finished work. So these are big questions. This is why I'm spending so much time at the beginning of this talk this morning saying, okay, let's define these terms. These are kind of big, core, foundational things about what it means to know about Jesus. We want to have a confident and competent understanding about who Jesus is. This is kind of at the baseline of it. To be justified by faith, I'm on God's team because I believe the truth about Jesus and I live in the result of his finished work. That's so much of what Galatians is about, is clarifying those concepts for this church. So Paul kind of starts off saying, okay, I'm Paul, I'm writing this letter to you in Galatia. Then he spends most of the rest of chapter 1 basically saying, here's why you should trust what I have to say. God showed up to me and asked me to tell you. That's kind of the, the short version of Galatians chapter 1. God told Paul to tell people this, so listen up. That's kind of what he says. Uh, and into Galatians chapter 2, then he goes on to say, and by the way, all the other apostles agree with me too, uh, because Paul's about ready to kind of step all over the Galatians' toes. So he's making sure they're ready to hear him. Like, hey, I have something to say. God told me. Everyone else agrees. So listen up, y'all. That's what Paul's saying in Galatians 1 and 2. Then, in, are you following me through Galatians here, by the way? I hope this is helpful. Galatians 2 and verse 11, this is kind of the running start straight into our passage. Our passage today starts at 15. In verse 11, Paul tells a story about when he's in, in a city in Galatia, uh, likely. It's either in Galatia, well, it doesn't matter where it is. He's in a city. And Peter comes, and here's the issue. They've been dealing with this Jew-Gentile thing. Jews don't associate with Gentiles. Gentiles aren't really sure what to do with that. Peter has kind of gotten over the Jew-Gentile separation. Because the gospel has said, there's no dividing wall between us anymore. So Peter's eating with Gentile people, something Jew, like Orthodox Jews aren't supposed to do. But in verse 11, let's just read that. This is Galatians 2 and verse 11. Here's the story Paul tells. Uh, when Cephas, which is a, a, another name for Peter, when Peter, Cephas, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, in other words, like the Orthodox in-charge Christian people, 
uh, who lived in Jerusalem, before those guys came, he used to eat with the Gentiles. So Peter's hanging out with Gentile people. But when they arrived, when the other Jews arrived, Peter began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. Peter was afraid of what Jewish people would think of his choices that he was making because of the gospel, so he changed his behavior. That's not very good. This is like Peter the Apostle. He was afraid of the circumcision group. Verse 13, the other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw, this is Paul speaking, when I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, you're a Jew, and yet you live like a Gentile, not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? So Paul is getting ready to really step all over the Galatians' toes. The way he gets into that conversation with them, it says, hey, Peter was so caught up in this understanding of what it means to be justified and what it means to have faith in Jesus that he was living as a hypocrite. His meals were affected. His friendships were affected. Peter was treating people poorly. He was acting one way in front of some people and another way in front of some other people because he got these foundational things kind of off kilter and it messed with a whole bunch of things about his life. So Paul kind of leads into a major discussion about the core things of the Christian faith by saying, hey, who you eat with matters. How you behave kind of with consistency in different social environments matters. You want to talk about the gospel how you behave in every different social situation, at work, at home, at church, if you can't be the same kind of person in all those places, I think Paul's saying, then we've got a, like a gospel issue. There's something wrong at the core level of your understanding of what it means to follow Jesus. So then, this is the, the context, right? Paul's talking about meals and making sure we're not divisive in those things. And then look at verse 15. Now Paul kind of jumps into his argument. He's talking about meals and making sure you treat people well. Then he says, we who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles. I think Paul's kind of being sarcastic. He can do that sometimes. We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles. Know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Okay, hang on just a second. got to stop there for a second. Paul's talking about, Peter, you make sure you eat with people. Make sure you don't change your behavior in different contexts. Make sure you're treating people well, whether you're in church or at home or at work or wherever. You treat people the same. Because you're changed at a, at a fundamental level by the gospel. And then he, like he's talking about meals. He's talking about eating. He's talking about relationships with people. And then he jumps straight to, how do you know you're on God's team or not? That's like a drastic step. Does that feel drastic to you guys a little bit? He's talking about meals and who you hang out with. And then here's how you are justified by faith. Like, whoa, that seems like a different category. But for Paul, it's not. Here, here's kind of the first, the first thought I want us to get our minds around for today is this. Your relationships with others, your relationships with others are a symptom of your relationship with God. Your relationships with others are a symptom of your relationship with God. And I would suggest that if we really took an honest look at our lives and said, okay, where are the settings where I act a little differently? Where are the settings where I kind of get uncomfortable and want to be impressive to certain people and so I change the way I act? What are the settings where I want to make sure I fit in so I shift a little bit of the core like values in my life to make sure I can fit in okay? What are those settings? What are those, who are those people that make us change the way we act? And I would say your relationships with others are a symptom of your relationship with God. And I would just maybe suggest to you from what I see in this text that for Paul, those two things are not separate. That he's saying the way we interact with the people around us 
how well we're able to love them, how well we're able to be unified with them, how well we're able to live with integrity regardless of our situation is a direct symptom of whether or not you are on God's team. So I would just ask you, maybe take an honest look at that. What are those settings? What are those settings where you kind of change your behavior a little bit to make sure you fit in? Who are those people that you feel a little bit uncomfortable inviting to your table? Who, what's that crowd at work that maybe you kind of try to fit in and so you, you let your humor slide a little bit more than you think you should? Because you're trying to make sure you fit in with everybody okay. And I would say your relationships with others are a symptom of your relationship with God. And I think Paul would ask us from this text, can you be so changed at a core heart level by who Jesus is to you? Can you be so changed by that that you can then be unchanged in every other relationship? Because that's the most important basic thing about you. I think that's what Paul might ask us from this text. Because your relationships with others are a symptom of your relationship with God. And so if your relationships with others are off, that's a symptom that something at a deeper level might be off. So I might just ask us to look at that. I think Paul would say the same. So let's keep reading. We're, we're in verse 15. Let's, let's kind of pick that up again. Paul slid into now his major, the major part of his argument. He's talking about this justification thing. How do we know we're on God's team? Verse 15 again, he says, we're who Jews, We who are Jews by birth and not simple Gentiles know that a person is not justified by works of the law, by doing the things required by Jewish law, basically, but by faith in Jesus Christ, believing the truth about him, living in the result of what he did. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. So Paul now is talking about how you make sure you're on God's team. Anybody want to make sure we're on God's team? It's kind of a core basic fundamental question here. If there's a God in the universe, I want to be on his team, right? So Paul's asking, okay, you want to make sure you're on God's team? then you believe the truth about Jesus and live in the result of what he's done for you. And if you try to get on God's team any other way, Paul says, it won't work. That's kind of my translation. Not going to work. You want to try to get on God's team any other way than by believing the truth about Jesus and letting him change your life. It will not work. It won't work. And so Paul's saying, you want to get on God's team, here's how. Uh, there's something I see here um, that I think is a big deal. It's, a, it's a, little, a little couple of pairing of words here in this passage that I think may really help us kind of grab onto this today. I, I just want to ask us this question. It's a little cheesy, but you can bear with me a little bit, okay? Here, here's a question I want to ask you. What's the difference between no, like no, and so? What's the difference between no and so? Let, let me show you where I see that in the text. Uh, in verse 16, the beginning of uh, verse 16, Paul's saying, okay, we, we know, we Jews, we people who believe in Jesus, we know that a person's not justified by works of the law, by doing good things, by trying really hard, by our effort, by our status, by who we are. We're not saved by that. We know we're not saved by that, but only by our faith in Jesus Christ. We know that. My guess is a lot of us in this room probably know that. Is that fair? A lot of us in this room know that, at least to some extent. At least we can understand the facts, what Paul's saying. We're not justified by effort, by work, by how hard you try. You can't be on God's team because of that. You can only be on God's team because of Jesus. So Paul says, we know that. We know the information. We've heard it before. But then look at what he says. We know a person is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we put our faith in Christ. That's a little thing there. I just want to ask you, what's the distance between no 
what you know and sow your action because of it? What's the difference between know and sow? And I think this is a big question for a lot of us in lots of ways, especially if you've been around church a little bit. There's probably a lot of things you know. But what's the difference between what you know and the so that action that follows it? What's that distance? Here's what happens, I think, when that distance gets a little too wide, when that distance between what we know and the so what action that follows it, when that distance gets a little too far, then I think things like, uh, at least for me, when that distance happens, things like kind of getting lazy sets in. It's just normal. It's just pattern. I know, th- I know things. I know stuff. It matters. I believe it matters. I care about it. But when the distance between what I know and the action I take because of it gets a little too long, then that just becomes normal. Anybody ever get stuck there before? A lot of things we know. Things haven't changed in a while, though. When that distance gets a little too wide, it gets harder and harder to get out of that rut. I would just ask us, would you minimize that distance between no and so? That's what happens to me, at least. Uh, let, me, let me get really specific on this for a minute here. My guess is in this room, a room this size, with men this, you know, this many men, this kind of environment, my guess is there's some of you who are starting to know, maybe for the first time, this whole justified by faith idea, basically this whole Jesus thing. My guess is in this room there's some of you who are just starting to know for the first time who Jesus is, what he did for you, that he loves you, that he died to pay the price for your sin, that he rose again to prove that he really was God in flesh and had power to do what he said he could do. Some of you are starting to know for the first time that there's an invitation available for you to trust, to put your faith in Jesus, to believe the truth about him and live in the result of his forgiveness for you. My guess is there's somebody, some people, a few of you maybe in the room who are starting to know that for the first time. Can I just ask you specifically on that, just consider Maybe make that distance between what you know and the so that action. Would you make it a little shorter today? And maybe something in this passage for some of you is to say, okay, I know some facts. I've heard some information. I'm starting to understand it. What's the step? And I might just ask some of you, maybe maybe it's time to take a so that step because of what you know is true. But for all of us, what's the distance between no and so? And I think the more we can shorten that distance, the healthier for our walk with Christ. Okay, verse 17, verse 17. Now, Paul, he does this a lot. If you've read Paul's letters much, if you haven't, this will be, be helpful to you. Paul kind of argues with himself a lot, okay? It's, it's, it's like a technique he has that he'll ask himself questions and then answer them. It's really, he does it all the time. So that's what he's doing in verse 17. So he's told this whole thing, like, we know information. We've taken some steps to act on it. We've shortened that distance. Now he's going to kind of bring up the argument and argue with himself and let us overhear it. So in verse 17, he says, but if in seeking to be justified in Christ... We Jews find ourselves also among the sinners. Doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Does that seem weird to you, guys, that, that flow of thought? Let me, let me try to explain, I think, what Paul's doing. He's saying, if we're not going to try hard to obey law in order to justify ourselves, if we're not going to do that, then opponents of this would tell Paul, so what, you're just going to sin all the time? Because Jesus is going to forgive you? So you're just going to sin all the time because it doesn't matter? And Paul says, absolutely not. That's his next thing. Absolutely not. No, that's not how this works. It's not just that Jesus can forgive us of our sins, so we don't really care. Have a blast. That's not how it works. Absolutely not, Paul says. 
But then here's what he says next. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. If I can be honest with you, this is, this is like the weirdest, hardest verse for me in kind of studying for this sermon. I'm not exactly sure. I've had to wrestle with what he means. I think what Paul is trying to get at when he says this, maybe some of you will, will identify with this kind of thing. So he's saying the only way you can be on God's team is letting Jesus pay the price for you. Okay, great. So I can't earn it. I can't work hard to do it. I can't be good enough to get it. Only Jesus. Right, okay. So then what do I do? Right? Doesn't it, like, I have to something to do. Like, what do I measure? How do I know if I'm doing it right? How do I achieve it? How do I get there? And Paul's like, no, 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 no. If I just told you the law doesn't do it. And now you're trying to rebuild something. I just, tore, I just tore down the law. Don't build up a new one. There's no list. If you build up another law, if you build up another standard, if you build up another checklist, then you really are just going to be a lawbreaker again. And we're back at the same spot. So Paul is saying, the way you get to God is through Jesus, period. Period. You want to create another list? Paul says, no, absolutely not. <laughs> That's not how this works. You want to get to God, you go through Jesus. That's how it works. Now, does Jesus call us to live a life that follows him? Yes, absolutely. Does he measure whether or not we're on God's team by those things? No. So Paul's saying, be careful, because we all have in us this tendency to say, okay, so I'm not justified by what I do. Okay, okay, I can live with that. So what do I do? Nothing. Paul says, don't do that. You trust in Jesus. You let him do the work for you. And then live a life that's faithful to him. That's how, that's how you're in. So he's saying, don't rebuild another law. Just walk with Jesus. Just walk with Jesus. But he said this, like this, um, maybe you identify with this phrase in verse 17. When he says, we're seeking to be justified, but we find ourselves also among the sinners. Find ourselves among the sinners. Does that phrase hit anybody a little bit? That's one of those that I'm like, right, I understand the gospel. Love scripture. Trying to follow Jesus. I'm not saved by what I do. I'm saved by Jesus. But then I look around and like, but, but I sin a lot. What do I do about that? Like I'm looking around saying I'm among this group of sinners. I'm one of these people. I'm among them. And Paul's like, yeah, that's a problem. So what are we going to do with that? Look at verse 19. For through the law, I died to the law, he says, so that I might live for God. Like the law, I can't measure up. So Paul just says, I'm dying to that. I'm not trying. I have been crucified with Christ, he says in verse 20. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So let me, let me ask you this. When you find yourself among the sinners, when you realize you're one of that group, when we're reminded probably constantly and more often than we want to be, I'm one of those people. I'm one of those sinner people. That's me. When you find yourself among the sinners, what do you try to do about that? When you find yourself among the sinners, what do you try to do about that? I think we try a lot of, kind of, a lot of things. I think one of the things when, I, when, I, when people find themselves among the sinners, one of the things that happens sometimes is it's just like, well, okay. I mean, I can't be perfect, so I guess that's how it is. That's one thing. Find yourself among the sinners and kind of, well, that's how it is. I think sometimes we find ourselves among the sinners and realize this is a problem. I can't fix it myself. I'm among the sinners. What do I do? Well, I'll read my Bible more. That's good. You should read your Bible more. Anybody else found out that that doesn't fix the sin problem, though? It doesn't fix it. I, I know what I'll do. I'll go to another Bible study. 
which is great. You should do that. Does it fix the sin problem, though? Not mine. I know what I'll do. I know what I'll do. I'll make sure that it looks like I've got it put together. And maybe if I'm kind of working at that long enough, it'll kind of catch on. Does that work very well? Or does that just give you gray hair? It doesn't work very well. Paul says, I think, when you find yourselves among the sinners, when you realize I'm one of those people, I'm among the sinners, then the only, the only solution when I'm among the sinners is to go be crucified with Christ. The only solution when I realize I'm among the sinners is you say, okay, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. Because the longer I keep trying to live and trying to fix this on my own, the more I'm among the sinners. You want to do something different? You want to be someone different? Paul says, you're among the sinners. We all are. You know the solution? Be crucified with Christ. And let me be honest, like as, a, as kind of a preacher even, that this is one of those things that's hard to talk about in a way. Because what does that mean? Be crucified with Christ. What do you do? It's hard to get really practical with that. You find yourself among the sinners, and I'm telling you, go be crucified with Christ. Do I want you to go climb up on a cross and die? No. What do you do? I think, it's a, I think it's a constant fighting and finding in ourselves, okay, when I realize that I am sinful, identify all of those things that I first try to do. You know what it is for me? You know what I try to do? When I realize, again, that I'm among the sinners and I'm one of those people, I'll try to justify myself. That's one of the things. I'll try to kind of get technical. I'm like, well, technically, maybe this isn't that bad, and I'm free in Christ, so it's okay, and he knows that I'm trying, and I'm growing, I'm getting better. It's better than it used to be. Kind of justify myself a little bit. When I, when I feel that in myself, it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Is that being crucified with Christ, or is that Ben justifying himself? That, well, that's certainly not being crucified with Christ. Uh, another thing I'll try to do, sometimes if I'm, just, if I'm just being honest with you, I'll try to hide it long enough and think, I'll just, I'll, I'll deal with this. I'll just kind of hide it long enough and then get over it. Anybody else tried that? That doesn't work either, does it? David talked about that when he tried to hide his sin. Psalm 51, he wrote after kind of one of his biggest sins. He tries to hide it, just like eats away at him. You know what I mean? That doesn't work either. So I think the only thing we can do is just go to, go to Jesus and say, and this is a mystery. How does this work? I don't exactly know. But it does. You just go to him and you say, I would rather die with you than live by myself. Jesus, I can't fix this problem on my own. Could I please just die with you? That would be better. I would rather die with Christ than live by myself. That's what Paul's saying here in verse 20. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. Is Paul still alive though? Yeah, he, he's alive. He's writing. This is one of those mysterious things. I can't quite nail down how it works. All I can tell you is, when you find yourself in that among the sinners group, I'm telling you the only solution is to go to him and say, Jesus, I'm one of these sinners. I'm among them. I can't stop it. I can't fix it. I can't justify it. I can't get my way out of it. Could I just die with you instead? And there's something mysteriously beautiful about the way he says, yes, you're my child. You're my son. You can die with me and I'll raise you to a new life. Just crucify yourself with Christ and tell him, I would rather die with you than live myself. Here's the last thing I want to point out, verse 21, and then we'll finish up. The last thing is this. Paul says, he's kind of finishing this flow of thought, and he says, I do not set aside the grace of God. Grace is that idea that God gives us something we don't deserve. 
I don't set aside the grace of God for if righteousness, if I could be justified, if I could be on God's team through the law, through being the right kind of person or through doing the right kinds of behaviors or by trying hard enough, if I could be on God's team by trying hard enough and being the right kind of person, then he says Christ died for nothing. In other words, if we could do that, if we could get on God's team by trying hard enough and being the right kind of person, what did Jesus die for? He wouldn't have had to. But Paul says, if that's true, Christ died for nothing. So here's the last thing I just want to tell you. Christ died for something. Christ died for something. You know what that thing is? He died so that you can have the life I now live in the body. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Christ died for something. And honestly, it wasn't even just so that you could say, okay, I guess I'm forgiven of my sin. That's good. But he died so that you can be forgiven of your sin and live a life now empowered by him. He died so that you could be forgiven of your sin and be free from it tomorrow. He died so that you could be forgiven of your sin and be more like Jesus tomorrow than you were today. He died so that you could be, say honestly about yourself like Paul does. It's, it's almost like I don't even live anymore. I'm just living the life that he gives me. I'm just taking opportunities that he provides for me. I'm just loving people he puts in my path. I'm not even in charge anymore. I'm just doing what he tells me to do. Christ died for something. And it's not just so that you can wonder if you're good enough or not. It's not just so that you can wonder if you're going to make it to heaven or not. It's so that you can say, I died. That old stuff, that old worry, that old stress, that old trying to measure up is dead. He died so that you could die. And now live a new life empowered by him. Christ died for something. What I want to tell you is that who you are and what you do really means nothing compared to whose you are and what he's done for you. Christ died for something. Will you take him up on it? Let me pray for you and I'm going to turn you over to discussion at your tables. God, I'm so grateful for your word. I'm grateful that we can read it and study it and be changed by it. God, I really do believe there's something powerful about Scripture, um, that even a, an imperfect and incomplete sermon just doesn't sum it up. So I pray that, God, your, your word that's unleashed in this room today would do things in men's lives that I couldn't have predicted and I couldn't have planned, but that you've been working. God, I pray that men in this room today would be crucified with Christ so that they no longer live anymore but that you just live in them and through them. God, I pray that you would do amazing things in the lives of these men today through what they've heard, through what they discuss. God, I pray that all of us, um, that all of us would live lives that aren't just concerned with trying to impress people or trying to mold ourselves into whatever we think people need to hear, but that we just live loyal and faithful to you. God, I pray that all of us all of us would be crucified in ourselves and identify those things in, a, in us that just need to be put to death so that we can live for you fully. God, I pray that all of us, I pray that all of us would stop trying so hard to be good enough or wonder if we're right or wonder if we're on the right team and accept that when we're in Christ, you've justified us and you've saved us for a purpose. God, would you just do something incredible in this room as men discuss with one another, with their brothers today. I pray that you would produce great fruit in these men's lives, and I pray that this discussion um, would lead people closer to you than they've been before. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thanks for listening to this week's Bible teaching from Man Challenge at the Blankenbaker campus of Southeast Christian Church. For more information on how to get involved, reach out to us via the email address in our podcast description or find us on social media.